Welcome to Win, the Women in Industry podcast, a production of the Communications Group. Welcome to the Communications Group's Women in Industry podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Jackie Lee, Associate Professor and Director of University of Arkansas Fruit Research Station in Clarksville, Arkansas. We are inspired by Dr. Jackie Lee, and we're inspired by all of you, women of the world, making a difference, wearing your cape, being a superhero, working your plan, showing up. This week, our inspiration is guest, Dr. Jackie Lee. Welcome to the podcast, Jackie. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Jackie, tell us a little bit more about you, um, if you will, your elevator speech. Um, And then tell us, what is something we definitely 100% need to know about you? (laughs) Well, um, I am the director of the Fruit Research Station here in Clarksville, Arkansas, and I just have a passion for farming. Um, I always have, and I work hard um, to deliver on our mission statement here at the University of Arkansas Experiment Station, which is to conduct research and achieve scientific discoveries that benefit our stakeholders which are Arkansas citizens. And I work really hard um, to do that every day. That's fantastic. Now, tell us a little bit about your personal background, where you grew up, where you went to school, hobbies growing up, personal passions, hobbies now, if you want. (laughs) Well, I had an interesting childhood. I I grew up near Dardanelle in Yale County, Arkansas. And if anybody gets that, that's line from True Grit. So I um, was from Mount George, grew up on a little cattle farm, and my grandparents bought the farm in the 50s. Um, They had moved out of the Blue Mountain area of Arkansas when they were grown and worked in factories in Ohio to save up enough money to come back to Arkansas and buy a farm. So When my parents had me, we built a little house on the farm, and I grew up right next door to them, and they were heavily influential in my life, and my grandmother was a very strong woman, and um, she always instilled in me this love for education. She told me when I was very young that she quit school in the 11th grade because um, she had a teacher that was a male and believed that females should not be educated. This was, this was in the 1920s and the 30s. And she always told me, Jackie, there's only one thing in this world, once you get, no one can take away from you. And that's an education. And I think, you know, her really driving that message to me, not only the message, but living that message with me. We were always outside. She taught me about every plant and animal that was on our property, how to grow things, and then also, of course, reminded me about the Great Depression about every day. So (laughs) I'm very thankful that I was um, raised not only by my parents, but also by my grandparents who were able to give me insight from another generation. And I do feel that that we don't do that anymore. And, and I f- I'm thankful that, that I did um, get that experience. 
Yeah, you're lucky that you had that. And you're lucky you had her in your life. That's It's interesting that you mentioned that quote because um, my father used to tell me the same thing. Um, and I'm, I was always inspired by that. Um, and most of the women in industry that we talk to will credit somebody in their career journey that had a huge impact on their career. It's wonderful to hear you still give credit and um, recognize that influence that she had on you. I love that. Um, tell us a little bit more about your family. And I highly recommend including pets if you'd like. <laughs> well, we have a, a big family and a changing family. Um, my husband and I foster children. So we have had seven children in the past year. And some, wow. some great news. We, uh, we adopted um, our, our, one of our first placements, October 28th. So our daughter, Electra, joined our family then, and she's 11 years old. Um, I also have a biological three-year-old daughter. So I have two girls um, in my home right now, and she's three. She's wild and rambunctious and um, just a joy. And um, she also is a special needs child. Um, she has a very rare genetic syndrome called Myrie syndrome. So I do a lot of advocating for children um, in my spare time. Um, just from the point of view from a special needs parent and then also um, as an advocate for foster children. We also have three dogs, Gypsy, Rowdy, and Eddie, and a parrot. Um, and then we, we have a rotating like line of things that go into our terrarium. We've had snakes and uh, salamanders and just anything the kids find. <laughs> that is fantastic. First guest with a parrot in their family. I love that. And thank you for sharing that, um, that information. Yeah. And I, I have to share one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's, it's from, Mark Twain, she was not refined, she was mm -hmm. not unrefined, she was the type of woman who kept a parrot. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> Gosh, that is so fantastic. I love it. <laughs> that, that speaks volumes. Tell us about your, um, your professional journey. Um, tell us about how you got um, from where you started in education to where you are now. Yeah, so... Um, I, luckily, I received an Arkansas Academic Challenge Scholarship, and, and this was monumental because this would have been in, in 1998, and it was, I believe, the first year they were offered, and it, it allowed me to go to college um, because my parents um, did not have the means to pay for me to go to college. So <clears throat> I received that scholarship full ride to Arkansas Tech University, and I got a bachelor's in biology. I had a professor there. Her name was Dr. Murray, and she was an entomologist, and she um, spent a lot of time talking about insects and their natural world, and I just fell in love with it. So when I graduated, I had visited with the University of Arkansas, entomology department 
and talked to most of the professors there. But one stuck out to me in particular, and that was Dr. Don Johnson. And he became my, my master's advisor. And we worked hard um, to, to do research on pest in fruit uh, crops. And he was very passionate about helping farmers. Um, he was a great mentor. Um, and I spent a lot of time shadowing him and learning about growing fruit crops and, and how to identify uh, different diseases and insect pests. And then that's where I, I probably started um, to really love working with farmers and trying to apply scientific research to really solve a problem. Um, to me, that is, there's nothing better than, than getting that, um, those results that actually impact someone's livelihood. So after my master's degree, um, I went on to get a PhD and I stayed at University of Arkansas. And I switched gears a little bit and did a lot more lab work. Back then, um, genetic work was molecular work was becoming really popular, and I just wanted to see what it was all about. I did that for a while. I finished my PhD and decided that really wasn't for me. What I needed to do was field work, and I graduated with my PhD in 2008, and I don't know if y'all remember 2008, but we were in the recession. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was... It was really hard to find a job. You know, I wanted an academic job, and my advisor said, Jackie, just take what you can get. Like, if you go into industry, stay in for about five years, get some experience, and you'll be able to get an academic career. So that's what I did. I um, was lucky to get a job as a research and development scientist for Dow AgroSciences. And I moved um, from Fayetteville, Arkansas to Blacksburg, Virginia. And it was beautiful there. Um, but I did research on products to control termites and bed bugs. So it was a complete shift. Oh, um, interesting. In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> from anything that was in my background. And I covered um, South Carolina up to New York, over to Ohio. That was my territory. And, and I'll never forget the first time I, I drove out to Long Island. I was in my big Ford pickup, and I knocked on the door to the little lady's house that I was, I was doing research at. And I was so nervous, she wouldn't accept me because of my southern accent. But she said, hey, Jackie, come on in. Come on in and have a beer with me. And I was like, well, I can't have a beer with you. But <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's a great story. <laughs> but, uh, a, a lot of good times um, in that position, but I really missed working in crops, and I asked to be transferred um, to a group that did more research on crops. And so two years later, I was uh, moved to Lubbock, Texas. Um, so I moved from Blacksburg, Virginia, 
um, a very mountainous region to Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> where, you know, it's quite flat. So in, in Lubbock, um, I did research on cotton. So I did a lot of work in row crops. Hmm. And I'll never forget, um, I had 350 plots of cotton to harvest by hand. And I started thinking back to my childhood. Oh my and once my, once my grandmother um, planted um, about a quarter of an acre of cotton, just so me and my brother could experience harvesting by harvesting it by hand. And when I was harvesting my, my That's research pretty brilliant. Plot, <laughs> I was thinking, well, I'm glad I'm prepared for this. And I knew she was probably smiling down on that. <laughs> I'm sure that's that's really interesting just to share a personal story we actually um, my family has uh, they, they used to plant a lot of cotton back in Oklahoma and my grandpa he died uh, in 1964 and that was the last cotton crop that we had planted up until uh, this year uh, was the first year that my dad actually planted his own uh, cotton crop we had partnered with a, a neighbor of ours um, to kind of uh, plant cotton in one of our fields out there. Um, but this, this year was the first time that he actually used his own equipment planting and everything. So that was a big deal for us. I'm actually, I'm really interested to talk to you more about this in our next segment. Uh, so we'll have to come back to it. Um, but, uh, I've got some questions for you coming up. So, so thank you for sharing that. That's so interesting. That's fantastic. But did we get to the part of your journey? Um, yeah, about where you are now. How did we get to where you are now? Oh yeah. 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 So um, after Lubbock, <laughs> I've been in industry for about five years as a scientist for research and development, um, and a position opened up at Oklahoma State University, being the state pesticide coordinator and the integrated pest management specialist for fruit crops and pecans. So this was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I applied for the job, and I got it. Um, I loved Stillwater. I loved working in Oklahoma, and I would probably still be there if the same type of position wouldn't have opened up at University of Arkansas, because I think you know how rare it is to circle back around and get back to where you came from. So I applied for the job, and I got it, and I worked two years for University of Arkansas as their IPM specialist, and then um, ended up being appointed the director of the fruit research station. So basically, I circled all the way back around to where <laughs> my career started because 17 years ago, I conducted my master's research on this station. So I ended up just back to where it all started. That's amazing. Wonderful. That is, it is. It's a full circle. And, um, what a wonderful story. What a wonderful journey. Each step along the way um, sort of got you back to where you are now. Yep. I think, you know, some sometimes things are just meant to be. And another thing that, you know, I am, I really started contemplating as I got older in my career was, you know, I, Arkansas had invested in my education and I really felt that I should give some of that back. 
because I do feel like we educate a lot of folks here and then they they move out of the state and you know they they're not able to give back and I wanted to do that that's wonderful that is wonderful um one of the things that almost all of the successful women tell us that we talk to is that they are goal setters. They create personal and professional goals for themselves consistently. Now, what are some of your professional goals? Yeah. So, you know, currently here at the fruit research station, we are research is predominantly fruit breeding and um, we have a world-renowned blackberry breeding program. We're the largest in the world. Um, and we have two amazing uh, fruit breeders. But my goal is to increase the number of scientists that we work with and the diversity of our projects. And currently, we're building a 3,000-square-foot state-of-the-art greenhouse um, that I have really, really lobbied for um, with our upper administration and, and have been successful. So I think growing the fruit research station um, for just diversity and to focus more on educating our farmers um, is another one of my, my goals. Anything to do with increasing the amount of specialty crops that we can produce, what we can learn about them, um, to increase our efficacy and efficiency on production is, is what I'm all about. So um, I'm, I'm just a big supporter of specialty crop production, and I hope that the fruit research station um, becomes known as the place where it's done where we come up with the technology that drives what farmers are doing out there. That's fantastic. So the fruit research station, clearly a huge passion of yours. Tell us what, tell our listeners, what does a typical day in the life of the director of the fruit research station look like? <laughs> well, there is no typical day. <laughs> My day can go a thousand different directions. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the season and, and, and who's here that day. But um, I have 10 full-time staff members. We have two research leaders, and they're generally tasked with the different research projects, and we're turnkey. So a scientist gives us a, a project, we um, plant, we take care of everything, um, we also will and take the data and analyze the data. So basically they give us a project and we complete it. So I have um, three people on farm crew that help us establish everything, um, help us with irrigation, things like that. Um, we have the research crew that helps with taking care of the plants and then um, collecting the data. And then my job really is to coordinate everything and make sure everything's getting done, communicate with the scientist. So we always start our day with morning meeting and um, morning meetings are always a lot of fun. And um, we talk about what we're going to accomplish for the day. And 
I've been told that my morning meetings have lasted a little longer than the previous director, but I have no clue <laughs> why that would, would be. <laughs> but, <laughs> so we get ready for our day, and, and then I usually um, ride around and, and look at our plants because um, I spend a lot of time diagnosing um, any, any problems that we're having out there in the field. So I have to catch diseases or insect pests or, you know, different weed pests, any, any issue that's going out on out in the field. Also, if a scientist is here or a visitor, I spend my time with them, um, learning about what they're doing, what we can do better for them, um, things like that. I also spend time writing grants because I still um, conduct my own research as well. Um, we have a, a HOPS project right now um, that I received grant funding for. So we're looking at the feasibility of HOPS production in the state of Arkansas. And that's along with Dr. Amanda McWirt and Dr. Renee Threlfall. Um, we're all working on that project. Well, I'm sure uh, Lisa is thinking the same thing here. Uh, you, you've just given us a huge uh, breadth of duty that you have to perform every single day in your role. But you also told us uh, earlier about your, your family life. And I'm curious to know, how do you balance all of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very lucky to be a resident director. So I live on site. So I get to stare at the beautiful Ozark Mountains right out my, my window. Um, and that's a huge help. But also our schedule here at Fruit Research Station um, is 7 to 3.30. So I am usually home by when my kids get home from school. And I'm lucky that my husband takes them to school. So um, me and my husband have always split things right down the middle. And he has actually um, stayed at home with our, our children before in the past. When my, my daughter was born, he took off work for the first year um, of her life, and he was a stay-at-home dad. So, you know, I'm really lucky to have someone that um, shares responsibility um, with me on on child rearing and and just around the house, so um, I couldn't do it alone. Um, I'm very thankful for my husband Leon. Um, he's a great father and a great husband, um, and and we both spend a lot of time with our family. When I'm not working, I mean I am 100% with my kids and cooking and doing projects and homework. Gosh, a lot of homework. <laughs> oh, I don't remember 11-year-olds. I don't know when 11-year-olds started having so much homework, but it's a lot. And, but, you know, there, it's hard to balance everything. Yeah, it is hard to balance everything. And, you know, one thing I, I strive to do um, being a leader here is telling everyone that I am 
very flexible with schedules. And, you know, I think as a, as a, as a woman, but also, you know, men as well, we all have to balance our, our family and life and our work life. It's time for us to take a quick break. Stay tuned as we hear more from Dr. Jackie Lee. We'll be right back. Okay, Jackie, I told you about this part. I told you this was sort of our fun part. This is rapid fire. It's one of my favorite parts of the podcast. It's just for fun. No right or wrong answers. We're going to fire a few questions at you. Some are going to be weird. Uh, some not so weird. Um, and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. All right. Are you a coffee or tea person? Tea. Every day. <laughs> Musical instrument? A bass guitar. That's a good one. That's wonderful. Do you play? <laughs> well, I was in a band in college, but I haven't played in a while. Oh, my goodness. That's another oh. little tidbit about you that we didn't yeah. know. That's fantastic. <laughs> we'll have to come back to that one. <laughs> For right. sure. For sure. Okay. Thinking about vacations, mountains or beach? Both. I alternate. <laughs> All right. Favorite app on your phone? Oh, Facebook, unfortunately. I spend too much time <laughs> That's on That's okay. There. There's no shame. <laughs> yeah, there's no shame in that. There's no shame. Okay. If you were on a desert, deserted island, what is one thing you absolutely positively would have to have? Uh, bean burritos from Taco Villa in Russellville. <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. Which is funny because the very next question was your favorite comfort food. <laughs> well, <laughs> can we can we safely say assume? <laughs> okay, good. That's good. All right, because we are recording this podcast um, in the fall. Um, I have to ask, pumpkin spice lattes, yes or no? Oh, no. No. <laughs> Tea. <laughs> there you go. You said that at the beginning. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Well, uh, we're ready for segment two of our podcast. All right. Women in industry. It's what this podcast is all about. Um, women are becoming increasingly influential and impactful in their chosen industries. And this section, we want to take a little bit of time to talk about your industry in specifics for the bigger picture. What's going on in your industry right now? How's it changing? What are the things that are having the biggest impact on your specific industry right now? Currently, specialty crop production is increasing exponentially um, in the U.S. And um, we have a very very um, volatile market for row crops, um, both cotton and soybean prices fluctuate um, quite a bit. And we're starting to have more and more interest um, in specialty crop production, which generally the prices don't fluctuate quite as much. 
and it's a very, very high cash crop um, produced on a smaller amount of acreage. So, you know, one thing that, that I can foresee happening in Arkansas and in other states that thrive on, on agricultural production is increasing the amount of specialty crop production um, that's, that's on their farms. I mean, even if they produce row crops mainly, I could see that specialty crop production um, could become a, a component um, of their revenue at, at some point in time. Also, we have this huge local food movement where we have urban farmers and, and farmers with small acreage and starting to produce specialty crops and fruit. So I think that we are just in a great place um, to be able to watch this industry grow and support this industry. And, you know, that is what I'm, I'm here to do and what the University of Arkansas Experiment Station's missions are is to um, contribute science um, to help Arkansas citizens um, grow their industries and um, make sure that they're, they're doing it with the best technology that's available. And so I'm excited to be a part of that. And, you know, I am the first ever female farm director um, at an extension station for the University of Arkansas. And, you know, University of Arkansas was established in 1872. So it's a very old institution. And I, I feel very privileged um, to have that designation. But also I have worked very hard um, to get here. Uh, I think, Jackie, that you've really uh, touched on something um, that uh, speaks a lot to the farming community. You know, um, obviously the last several years, if you keep up with the ag markets, I know that you do, um, that we've had, like you said, a lot of fluctuation uh, when it comes to the different uh, commodity markets. And that's one thing I know that the USDA and Secretary Purdue uh, really pushed uh, the last several years is encouraging farmers to go out and diversify their operations. And I, I think that speaks to the resiliency of our farmers out there um, who have managed to survive uh, through different generations. A lot of our farmers, they have multi-generational farms that they're, they're living and working on. And so um, I, I, don't you agree that that's something that farmers just inherently have is that flexibility to kind of roll with the tough times and come out the other side, um, you know, with, with uh, new skills or something like that to, to kind of keep their operations going? I always find that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. Folks that are adverse to change um, generally just aren't going to be as successful. And that goes with anything, farming or life in general. Yeah. And, you know, um, you, you've talked a little bit about your role um, with extension and research. And um, I have found that when speaking to folks that maybe aren't familiar um, with the agricultural industry, um, that that they, they don't know a lot about that extension service. Can you kind of talk about, um, I've, I've heard it referred to many times as the three-legged stool, um, and I'm sure working at Oklahoma State, which is uh, my alma mater, um, I, I know that you're familiar with that as well. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of extension and how that feeds 
the agricultural community um, with the information and knowledge that they need to be successful in their businesses? Sure, sure. So um, University of Arkansas is a land-grant university. And what a land every state has a land-grant university. Oklahoma State is Oklahoma's. Um, university of Arkansas is ours. And we have three missions, and that is teaching, research, and extension. So extension, we are tasked with, first off, determining and driving what scientific research should be done to solve real-world problems. So we communicate with the scientists and with our stakeholders, which our stakeholders could be farmers, or it could be just homeowners or families. Um, we get information to our scientists on problems that they're having so the scientists can conduct research um, that can impact them. And it's Extension's responsibility to get that information out to end users. So for farmers, for example, we do a lot of variety trials. Um, we look at the, the, the most, um, I mean, the newest varieties that are developed in certain crops. And then we get that information out to them on what is performing well. Um, so not only do we do that in agriculture, but you know, also we have um, agents, extension agents in family and consumer sciences and in 4-H. So it's really a way to support our community and make sure that our science is based in need and that we're getting that information out to um, our communities. And so you're, you're actually teaching the students at the university to go on to enter that agricultural community um, and, and be industrious in their different endeavors. And then you continue that education through your extension and, and your research. I, I, you know, it's a, like you said, a full circle um, operation that you have going on there. And I think that's um, something that's often overlooked in the agricultural community is that it is a constantly changing industry and one that is very scientific and, and methodical in how it, it works. Um, you know, just, I always am, um, uh, intentional about trying to explain to our audiences why this is impactful to them, what you're doing and, and how that resonates with them. And one example I can think of, I, I'm not very familiar with the fruit industry itself um, as, you know, working in Oklahoma, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited that you're working with the pecan industry out there that you have. I know that's a growing industry out there. Um, but one of the, one of the clients that we have at the communications group is the Arkansas Boll Weevil Eradication Foundation and your experience with cotton. That's that's kind of what triggered me in our first segment. Um, I, I'm interested to know what, what you have to say about this, but uh, to give our audiences some perspective about how um, insects can impact their daily lives, you know, uh, the boll weevil is an extremely damaging insect to cotton crops across the U.S. And uh, years ago, the nation came together to eradicate the boll weevil. Had they not done that, it might have been the cotton industry that was eradicated. And, you know, that would have obviously affected, you know, 
uh, our daily lives and the fact that we may not have the cotton available for bed sheets, um, clothing, and so on. Um, and that was a, a massive undertaking. I'm curious, with your cotton experience, do, do you have any relation to that? Can you kind of expound on on what an endeavor that was? Well, my cotton experience is in Lubbock, Texas. And let me tell you, Lubbock is a very interesting environment. And there was very few insect pests that I encountered. First off, you know, we were, everything we grew was um, generally some type of BT, had a BT product in it. So we we didn't um, have problems with bowl worms or anything like that and then the the bowl weevil um i don't have a lot of experience with that but i will tell you we are experience experiencing something similar in fruit crops right now which i i just have more experience with fruit crops in general but a invasive an invasive fruit fly called spotted wing drosophila um, was introduced into Arkansas around two, 2013. And before we had this fruit fly, um, we rarely had to spray an insecticide on blackberry. This little fruit fly has um, a ovipositor, which is what it uses to lay its eggs, that can poke into fruit and lay eggs in ripening fruit on the vine, which is extraordinarily rare. We've never had an insect pest that could do that. Um, so what that means is the developing larvae, which you can get 20 up to 20 larvae in a berry, are wriggling around in that ripe fruit, and people generally don't like to see wriggling larvae in their in their ripe fruit. So um, we've done a lot of research on, on how to control this pest. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes the only answer is um, to spray. And, and we have had to increase our pesticide input in, in blackberry um, tremendously over the last um, five years. So it has impacted blackberry producers, bottom line. Um, so insect pests can make or break an industry. Um, and, and we're constantly trying to develop new ways um, to control them that's environmentally sound and sustainable, um, but also sustainable from an economic standpoint. Um, and at the end of the day, we have to do both. Um, there's there's just a fine balance between that. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I'm going to pass this back over to Lisa, but uh, I, I think it is very interesting to see the comparison um, in in how you started out uh, your professional career. You talked about um, how your family brought you along, took you outside, and taught you about uh, the different things uh, going on on the farm. And I see that you have continued to um, take that tradition on and uh, in your own role uh, and, and continue to teach people about agriculture. So uh, thank you for the important work that you're doing. And um, I'll leave you with this point that I think that um, what you do as an extension 
professional is that uh, a very big important part of your job is effective communication. Uh, when it comes to farmers, and you can probably speak more on this, um, you know, connecting with farmers in the different ways that they prefer to communicate and receive information, that's always a challenge for Extension to be effective with their messaging. And that's a challenge that we face as PR professionals all the time is trying to understand our audiences and speak to them in a way that they will receive that information. I, I'm just curious, and I'll leave you with that question, is, is how you accomplish that. Well, it's, it's very different with different groups. You know, for example, I still support the pecan growers in Arkansas, and I communicate with them um, directly at their meetings, um, at the Arkansas Pecan Growers Association meetings. I think, you know, in some groups, um, direct communication is best in person. But then when we get into our master gardeners and our... Um, urban farmers, um, we do a lot of webinars and um, online ways of communication. So, you know, for those groups, that's how we can reach them um, better and we can reach more people that way. Um, so I think utilizing different platforms for, for different groups um, is, is essential right now. Of course, everything is Zoom now, but, um, you know, once we're, we're through our, our COVID um, times, um, hopefully we can get back to some in-person meetings. And also, you know, here at the Fruit Research Station, we, we hold a lot of educational programming in person because we do hands-on activities. And I think that's, that's important um, for some people that, that learn that way. Um, and it's important to offer that. We also generally record all of those, um, educational, um, events so that we can post them online too. So we generally have a lot of different options, um, to contact folks. That's wonderful. Jackie, we have, uh, just, I think about two more questions. Uh, we sure do appreciate your time today. Um, in the last five, oh, it's two years, one year, uh, women's influence in the workplace has really changed dramatically. And we're interested in your thoughts about women in the workplace and their evolving role and their influence. Talk to us a little bit about your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, I know in agriculture, it's amazing to see the evolution of just the presence of women. Because when I started my master's degree, I believe we were, women com comprised about 25% of the entomology, entomologists in industry. And now we're a little above 50%. Um, when I worked in Lubbock, Texas, in cotton, that would have been in 2010, 2011, um, which isn't that long ago, um, I was the only uh, female working in cotton um, out there um, in that area. So, um, and I know now I, I have a lot of, of friends that are working in row crops that are female. It's, it's changing so fast. Um, but one area I, I'm starting to see change in 
but that has not changed as quickly is women in leadership roles. Mm. I think there's a lot of room for for women um, to get some get into leadership roles, um, not only with universities but in industry and in um, governmental agencies. I mean, you still just don't see it often. That's a wonderful observation. All right, final question. As we uh, as we leave today, what is one message that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I think a lot about what has driven my success and the things that I have always valued is to always embrace change, to always stay humble, and to be passionate about what you do. And I am so thankful that I love what I do because I feel like I don't work every day. I'm just doing what I love to do. It's almost a hobby. If you ask me what my hobby is, I'm probably going to say working at the fruit research station. Um, I just, I love <laughs> That's what wonderful. I do. <laughs> I love what I do. And um, being a leader is, is a very interesting role because being a leader in, in my mind is being a good mentor. It's, it's being a guide. It's not about telling people what to do and, and when to do it, but it's about being a team to accomplish a mission and making a plan and following that plan. And, you know, I just encourage people if they're in leadership roles, um, you know, to, to always take into consideration um, your mission and all of your staff um, to accomplish those goals. And, you know, one thing I, I always <laughs> tell my staff is I say, you know what? You know how lucky we are? We get to farm for a living and earn a steady paycheck. Our paycheck comes in every two weeks and we get benefits and insurance. So there's just not many, many jobs out there you can farm for a living and get a ste steady paycheck. So. We're pretty lucky. <laughs> That's a good observation. <laughs> Words of wisdom and inspiration. Well, Dr. Jackie Lee, thank you so much for joining the communications group today for our Women in Industry podcast. We are inspired by you, um, definitely. And we wish you continued success on your professional journey. Please check out combagroup.com, our women in industry page, to see more incredible and inspiring women in industry. And please nominate that inspiring woman in your industry for recognition. The nomination form is on our website. That's comgroup.com. See you next week. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's WIN podcast. The Women in Industry series is presented by the Communications Group and celebrates professional women and their achievements. For more information about today's guests and others like her, or to nominate a woman in industry for recognition, click on over to comgroup.com. Join in on the WIN conversations by going to Comgroup's social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. 
The Wins Podcast is hosted by Calm Group's Executive Vice President Lisa Van Hook and PR Manager Carson Horn and produced by me, Natalie Johansson. Technical support is provided by Calm Group's digital team, Casey Baker and Dylan Key, with Britt Miller as our creative lead. Additional support is provided by Jennifer Pearson and Cecily Pamplin, with direction coming from Dan Cowling and Dane Cowling. To learn more about how the communications group can help you achieve your business goals, contact us today at 501-376-8722 or at info at comgroup.com.